Our first reading is taken from John chapter 9, verses 1 to 17. It's on page 3 of your service sheet or 1075 in the Pew Bibles. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the word of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, washed in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man? they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. Then continuing from verse 28. Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly godly person who will do his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you are steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, 
For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What are we blind to? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Thank you very much to Charles and Polly for those readings. The modern world is fascinated by personal experience, by personal stories. You might remember the big book Christmas hit of 2018 was Michelle Obama's Becoming. I remember my mother was quite insistent that for my gift to her that year, I bought her a copy of Michelle Obama's Becoming. I hope she appreciated it. And that book is all about sharing stories. Michelle almost raises it to the level of uh, religious fervor, the need to listen to other people's stories. And of course, there's a very important echo of uh, the Christian gospel there, of valuing others, of loving others by listening to their experiences. It's a, a crucial part of modern culture. And the Christian version of that almost is giving our testimony giving our story of how Jesus has impacted our lives. There's a wonderful opening there, actually, in modern culture for the gospel, uh, the valuing of personal experience, personal story, giving us a door to say something about what Jesus has done for our lives and, by implication, what he can do for other lives as well. There is also, though, a danger of that format, that it all becomes about me. It becomes very me-centred. I read this, I heard about that, I had to think about this, I decided to follow Jesus myself, I've kept going with him myself. How then can our testimony, our story, be more God-focused, more Jesus-focused, and not simply about me? A little bit more, perhaps, like verses 10 and 11 of our reading. How then were your eyes opened, they asked the, bl- the man who was blind. He replied, the man they call Jesus... He told me to go and wash. I washed and then I could see. Wonderful uh, explanation there of how Jesus is the active party in what's happened to him. Not uh, I went and washed by myself, but Jesus told me. And thanks to Jesus, my eyes were opened. As those two verses suggest, the passage today is about Jesus opening eyes. Opening eyes physically of the man who was born blind. Um, But by implication, more widely, Jesus opening eyes spiritually to the reality of the world. Sometimes it's implicit in the gospel that eye-opening miracles, miracles giving sight to the blind, are paralleling the giving of spiritual sight. Uh, But in this particular episode, it's actually explicit. And Jesus says at the end in verse 39, For judgment I have come into the world, so that the blind will see, and those who who can see will become blind. There's many healings of blind people in the Gospels. Jesus heals the blind in Bethsaida, in Capernaum, Bartimaeus, uh, named uh, in Jericho, unusually. And then here in Jerusalem, the longest account we have of somebody who was blind, who was given sight by Jesus. And uh, unusually, we have here all of the 
uh, fallout from that as well. The questioning, the follow-up, the investigation done into whether this person actually was blind. Uh, we've actually only read um, two halves of that chapter. There's a little bit in the middle we've missed out as well, where the Jewish leaders go and find the man's parents, and they quiz them about, is this your son? Was he actually born blind? Can he really now see? They don't really want to talk about it because they're quite afraid of the Pharisees. Um, but it's an in-depth investigation that goes on into whether this actual man actually was blind, who can now see. And this miracle shows Jesus as healer, certainly. But more than that, it shows him as the Christ, uh, as we've seen throughout this series on the signs. Uh, these wonderful miracles point to that the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that we might have life in his name. And we've also said throughout the series, of which this is the sixth of seven parts, that each individual miracle shows something unique as well about Jesus' nature and his ministry. This one seems to be saying that as well as being the Christ, the Son of God, by this miracle, Jesus shows that he is the giver of spiritual sight. Jesus shows he's the giver of spiritual sight in uh, metaphor, in the miracle itself, in the midst of what's going on in Jerusalem, uh, in action, as we see some actual people come to have spiritual sight in this episode, and then thirdly and finally in fulfillment of prophecy. So we'll have a look at those uh, facets as we read through the passage. So firstly, Jesus is the giver of sight in metaphor, verses 1 to 7. This healing comes in the midst of a long section of John's Gospel where Jesus is in Jerusalem at a feast and he has a long argument with the Pharisees who are very opposed to him. This is a later stage in his ministry. They've sussed out what he's about. They've seen his following and they've become incredibly jealous and they've set themselves against him and tried to find a way to get rid of him and kill him. They throw all sorts of insults at Jesus in the preceding verses in chapter 8. They say that he's leading people astray, that he has a demon that he's a country bumpkin from up there in Galilee, doesn't know what he's talking about. And amidst that spiritual blindness, a lot of it actually quite willful spiritual blindness on the part of the Pharisees, Jesus comes and meets a little picture, a physical picture of that spiritual reality, a man born blind in verse 1. He saw a man blind from birth, somebody who's never seen the reality of the world out there. He's always been blind. Uh, a little picture of the way in which these Pharisees actually have always been blind. They've never seen the reality of the world out there. All around, left and right, in Jerusalem at that time, were the spiritually blind. And now a living parable, a man physically blind from birth, helpless by himself to do anything, without any prospect of being healed and of having his sight given to him. Wonderfully, miraculously, given sight by Jesus, a picture of what is possible for even Jewish leaders who just wanted to murder Jesus. And it's interesting that Jesus doesn't give a simple be healed, he doesn't just give the words and it happens, as he sometimes does with his healing miracles. But instead, verse 6, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man washed and came home seeing. Why the mud? Why that little extra step in this healing miracle? It seems most likely it's an allusion to creation, uh, to the making of Adam in Eden, 
when God used the dust of the earth to make clay and created the man. Jesus has already stated many times in John's Gospel that he's doing the works of his Father, and there's no separation between what the Father is doing in the world and what he's doing in the world. And so it makes sense to extend the analogy uh, with this inclusion of clay, this inclusion of dirt and mud in the giving of sight. God gave first life uh, through clay, through mud in Eden. Jesus gives new life through Christ, using the illusion of mud as well. So there's Jesus walking in the streets of Jerusalem and healing, and doing so in a way that very directly links what he's doing with what God the Father does in creation. Today, uh, in our modern world, despite extensive stem cell research and gene therapy research, we still have no cure for congenital blindness, for blindness from birth, as this man suffered from. There is, uh, at the moment, still no prospect for those who are born blind to receive their sight. Sight, nonetheless, is the most important sense that we have, the one we use the most for interacting with the world around us. Imagine ourselves if we were without our sight, not ever seeing or with any prospect of seeing our loved ones again, being required to feel our way around the life that we've previously seen our way around, needing a guide dog for walking the streets that used to be so familiar, needing to learn Braille, perhaps, to read, losing the use of common things like the internet or never watching a film again, never seeing another sunset or another flower in the garden or another landscape. That sort of darkness, that blackness, that inability to interact, that disconnection from the world around us is what spiritually we were all like. But Jesus gives sight, as he shows by metaphor, through healing this man. And the blind man himself must have been overwhelmed uh, by suddenly having this extra sense, this incredible new sense given to him suddenly seeing all the things he's previously just heard and touched and smelt around him. My only very faint equivalent of that is getting a new pair of glasses. Uh, during the time when my eyesight was declining, which thankfully seems to have stopped now, it's going to hold steady at about minus 3.5 or something, um, I would go through phases of beginning to lose focus on the edge of my vision, before I realised I needed a new, slightly stronger pair of glasses. And when I got that new, stronger pair of glasses, suddenly the branches on the trees and the leaves and the trees in the distance suddenly came back into focus. I rem remembered, oh yes, that's actually what proper full sight is like, to be able to actually see all of that wonderful detail in life. Well, that in itself led to a small amount of rejoicing on my part and thanksgiving at uh, modern optometry. And no doubt, much more rejoicing on the part of this man who was given absolutely everything from nothing, not simply a restoration of uh, partial loss of sight, but restoration of all his sight. What a great feeling. And the same rejoicing certainly is seen in uh, those who come freshly to Jesus, who are new converts and uh, come to know the Lord Jesus spiritually and are given sight in his name. How much that rejoicing should mark all of our Christian lives as we reflect on the incredible transformation from not seeing anything spiritually to being given full sight in Jesus' name. Without Jesus, we are spiritually disconnected 
from the world and the reality around us in the dark without any prospect of that getting better. But with him, we have the world in technicolor. We know what's happening from formation to future, the purpose and principles of the world, its richness and its reality. So an important question for us to consider, has Jesus given us sight? If we're unsure, if we have received that sight from Jesus, it's worth saying to him in our hearts, in humility and faith, please, Lord, give me that sight. Please give me spiritual sight. And for those of us who do know the spiritual sight that he gives, give thanks always for that wondrous gift that he has given. So Jesus gives spiritual sight in metaphor, in that picture of healing the blind man, but he also gives spiritual sight in action in this passage. Ominous words we find in verse 13 of the reading. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Uh Uh-oh. Enter the bad guys who've been arguing with Jesus. These are the ones who've been saying to him, you're an ignoramus, you've got an evil spirit in you, you're leading the people astray. And they've brought the blind man to these people who doubtless are going to give him a rough time. And certainly the expected attitude is very much on display in verses 14 to 16. The day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes. The man replied, I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Rather like their reaction a few chapters earlier, in chapter 5, to the healing of the lame man at the Pool of Salerm, the same place where Jesus had sent the blind man to wash off the mud. That was about 18 months earlier in Jesus' ministry. And what was it that the Pharisees commented on then? It wasn't the fact that somebody who was lame for 38 years was suddenly walking, All they could focus on was the fact he was carrying a bundle about in Jerusalem when you're not meant to carry bundles. All they could focus on was the supposed breaking of the Sabbath rule. They were completely blind to the fact an amazing miracle had just taken place. And so the same is true 18 months later, four chapters later in John's Gospel, with the healing of a blind man. They haven't twigged the fact that something incredible, something unheard of since the foundation of the world has just happened. Somebody born blind has been given sight. Instead, all they can say is, how can he be from God? He's breaking the Sabbath. He's doing work on the Sabbath. But then amazingly, there is actually some dissent, isn't there, from that? So the second half of verse 16, we read, others asked, others among the Pharisees asked, that is, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Now, this is interesting. Previously, the wall of opposition, the united opposition to Jesus from the Pharisees, uh, is now breaking down. Previously, it had been only Nicodemus amongst them who quietly had gone to Jesus by night and had a little interview with Jesus and asked him uh, about how he could come to new life. Uh, Everybody else among the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders simply wanted to do away with this ignorant rabbi, rabbi from Galilee. But now, these signs seem to be having some effect. This is in action. What we read is their proper purpose from chapter 20 of John, that by seeing these signs, you might have life in Jesus' name, by seeing he is the Christ, he is the Son of God. Some of these Pharisees previously opposed are beginning to question, maybe actually there is some truth to this. 
maybe these signs do show that there's something true about who this person claims to be. Maybe he actually he is the son of God, they're thinking to himself. Although maybe they don't have the uh, bravery to actually enunciate that, and they're simply stating their thoughts in the negative. These signs are taking effect in action. We're seeing Jesus give sight in that metaphor, but we're also seeing him giving sight to actually some of these Pharisees and some in the crowd uh, in real time. Now, somebody who is a sort of bit of a modern-day Pharisee who sought to undermine Jesus, to undermine his claims, to do away with him, was somebody you've probably heard of, Lee Strobel, who wrote this wonderful little book, The Case for Christ, which is my show-and-tell book of the day. Always bring one along. Uh, Wonderful read, uh, very easy, very uh, conversational style. Uh, He was riled by the fact his wife had become a Christian, and he set out to disprove uh, the claims of Christianity and investigated uh, the sources and the authority that was behind the faith. And actually, by a miracle, during the course of that investigation, Lee Strobel, who was setting out to destroy the faith to undermine the belief his wife had come to, became himself a Christian. His eyes were opened, rather like those Pharisees who had been trying to do away with the Galilean teacher. Lee's eyes were opened to see the reality, the truth of who Jesus actually was. Now, we'll have met in the course of life some people who are thoroughly opposed and aggressively opposed, uh, but we know that most people are simply rather indifferent to Jesus. They're not strongly opposed. They're not seeking out to write a book undermining the claims of Jesus. Um, some of them are, but most of them simply indifferent and not very interested. Uh, perhaps like those in the crowd who were simply watching on, seeing what the Pharisees were doing as they questioned Jesus. But wonderfully, some of their eyes would have been opened as well because the signs are effective both for those who are strongly opposed and those who are merely indifferent. We can have confidence that the signs of Jesus still have that power today to bring people to faith. We've mentioned a couple of times now the Thy Kingdom Come initiative, which is led by the Archbishop of Canterbury. These 10 days between Ascension Day and Whitsun, uh, we're encouraged to pray for five people within our networks, our circles, who don't yet know Jesus and who we're praying might come to believe in him. And we can know that as we pray for those five, whoever they are, wherever they stand, uh, however opposed or indifferent they might be towards Jesus, the signs of Jesus are effective for them as well. That as they hear and they come to understand about what he has done, uh, on a little bit of investigation perhaps, reading a book like this this maybe, they will, uh, by Jesus' power, be able to come to him. Those who are in home groups might have had a discussion this week arising from chapter 6 of John about exactly how effective our prayers and our witness are, given that that chapter says the spirit gives life, the flesh is no help at all. And we had a bit of a debate in our home group, certainly, about uh, the relative effect of what God does and what we do. But the conclusion we came to, certainly, is that the Bible tells uh, both are true, that both the spirit gives life Jesus himself opens eyes without any help from us, without us being able to do anything to open eyes spiritually, but also that we are involved in that project too. It's entirely worthwhile and right and proper and obedient that we do pray for five people, for 50 people 
during Thy Kingdom Come and beyond, and indeed continue to speak to such people about the works, the wonderful works of Jesus, as we mentioned in our memory verse at the start of the service. So Jesus gives spiritual sight in metaphor, in action, and then thirdly and finally, in fulfillment of prophecy. Part of the Pharisees' blindness was thinking that they stood on Moses, and Jesus was this Johnny-come-lately who didn't know anything about the Old Testament. Verse 28, they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. So convinced were they of their rightness, their standing in the tradition of their ancestors, when actually they were the ones who've departed from Moses. They've the ones who've built up a big body of rules that have clouded Moses and prevented them seeing the prophecy that's now being fulfilled in front of their eyes as the one who gives sight stands among them. And Jesus himself uh, makes clear that prophetic fulfillment in verse 39, which I've already already read out. For judgment, he says to the man born blind, I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. In other words, I've come to turn the world upside down. But those who have will not have and those who don't have will have. And that pattern of uh, turning the world upside down is exactly what we see throughout the Old Testament. Prominently, we see it in the book of 1 Samuel, in the prayer of Hannah. She prays in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, verses 4 to 8, that uh, those who, the, the bows of the warrior might be broken, but those who stumble would be armed with strength. Those who would be full would hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry would be hungry no more. That she who was barren would be born with seven children, but she who had many sons would pine them away. Hannah's prayer is that all the kings that would come would turn the world upside down, and most of all, the king, the Messiah of God, would turn the world upside down. And that's echoed, of course, in Mary's song in Luke chapter 1, which has a similar upside-down theme to it. Jesus comes along and fulfills this expectation of the king who will turn the world upside down, giving sight to the blind and taking away sight from those who do claim to have it. And the final few verses of this chapter confirm that that's exactly what's going on with these Pharisees. Now, they suss out that they're the subjects of this prophecy, fulfillment. Some of them heard him and said, what, are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. You think that you have, but what you have will be taken away. Whereas if you became like little children, admitted you had nothing, then you would be given sight. Jesus giving sight in metaphor, in action, and in the fulfillment of prophecy. Any of us would be very grateful to receive life-saving heart surgery in hospital when we needed it. But it would be a bit disconcerting if, after receiving that surgery, we found that actually the surgeon who'd done the operation hadn't been on the roster and he had bumped off the person who was, 
left him in the car park. <clears throat> and we found out the person who'd done the surgery, although he'd done a great job, actually was never qualified, and actually he had no training whatsoever to do that operation. Well, we can know that not only does Jesus genuinely give us spiritual sight, but actually he was the one who was always meant to do that, the one who was always expected to do that. He was on the roster. He was qualified and is qualified to give that spiritual sight to anybody still today. We can trust in the authenticity of Jesus' sight-giving ministry. He's not an overnight con. He's not a newly invented cult. He is the reality, true from the beginning and true into eternity. Let's stop there and pray and give thanks for Jesus' sight-giving. Heavenly Father, we praise and thank you for this sign, another sign of Jesus in John's Gospel. Thank you for the way that man was given sight and the picture that is for us of the spiritual sights that Jesus can give, still does give today. Thank you for giving that sight to us, helping us to see the reality of the world. We pray that that blessing would extend to more and more people. Help us as we strive to share the wonderful works of you with others. And through that work, may you open eyes today to your praise and glory. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Our final hymn is a thanksgiving for the gift of spiritual sight from Jesus. Let's stand to sing, Rejoice, the Lord is King. For we can now see that is indeed the case. Let's stand. Now again, 
Lift up your heart, lift up your voice. Rejoice again, I say, rejoice. He sits at God's right hand till all his foes submit and bow to his command and fall beneath his feet. Lift up your heart, lift up your voice, rejoice again, I say, rejoice. Rejoice in glorious hope, Jesus the judge shall come, and take his servants up to their eternal home. We soon shall hear the archangel's voice, the trumpet sounds, rejoice, rejoice. May the Spirit who hovered over the waters when the world was created breathe into you the life he gives. May the Spirit who overshadowed the Virgin when the eternal Son came among us make you joyful in the service of the Lord. May the Spirit who set the church on fire on the day of Pentecost, bring the world alive with the love of the risen Christ. And the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.